Christian Heritage Ministry, in cooperation with Fuller Seminary, proudly presents the Old Fashioned Revival Hour, a broadcast of the Gospel with Dr. Charles E. Cole. Without further delay, let's join the broadcast just getting underway. sunshine as we always do as we sing through the first time turn around and shake hands with as many as possible everybody with a smile singing out heartily Shout the loud Hosanna, Christ is captain of the 
information for our many new listeners. Over the past 24 and a half years, God has graciously permitted us to send out the good news of salvation to an international audience. Recently, many new and large radio doors have been added to this broadcast. Everyone hearing this program, please become a zealous missionary. Tell your friends far and wide to listen in each Sunday over the station in your locality. This is Charles E. Fuller, director of the old-fashioned Revival Hour, speaking.
only too happy to send to you our monthly publication, The Heart to Heart Talks, telling in more detail of this faith work of broadcasting the gospel by radio. So send for your copy of this monthly publication. This world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, oh, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. They're all expecting me, and that's one thing I know. I fixed it up with Jesus many years ago. I know he'll take me through, though I am weak and poor, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, though I have no friend like you, if heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Just over in glory land we'll live eternally. The saints on every hand are shouting victory. Their songs of sweetest praise drift back from heaven's shore, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, oh, I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do? The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Oh, Lord, oh, Lord I have no friend like you. If heaven's not my home, then, Lord, what will I do?
happy to have with me on the broadcast a, a wonderful helpmate. We've walked together for many, many years through many trials and many years of joy and happiness. And so, honey, go right ahead and read the letters. Mrs. Fuller. Well, greetings, friends. I have bits from some letters to read you today. The serviceman writes, I am a patient at the Veterans Hospital here in Maine. This is a fine hospital, and they treat us very well. I have a wife and two children at home, and the baby is only two months old. And it is very hard for me to be away from them so long. The main reason for this letter is to try to tell you how much I enjoy the old-fashioned revival hour each Sunday. But you could not really understand unless you were in my situation, lonely and hungry for the Word of God. I look forward to hearing it all through the week, and it brings me much closer to God and fills my heart with joy. God bless you for your faithfulness in spreading his wonderful word. A lady from New Orleans writes warmly in appreciation, dear Mr. Fuller. I've been listening for years to your program. I'm a widow and all alone, and the hour is so comforting to me on Sundays. So I always pray that you will outlive me, for I would be simply lost without the old-fashioned revival hour. Everybody loves heavenly sunshine, too. The last time my son was home before leaving to go overseas, he and his wife sang it together, and he said that during the war, he heard it in Africa, in a desert place. And he wanted to shout and cry at the same time, and it sounded so beautiful. It was coming across the seas from his own beloved country. And then there's just one more short letter, dear Reverend Fuller. We live in a one-room cabin out here in the sagebrush. It is very hot in summer, and in winter the winds howl around our lonely cabin. But there is one thing we are thankful for in all kinds of weather, and that is that we pick up your old-fashioned revival hour clearly. How it does cheer us and to comfort us, and it takes us out of this place completely into the heavenlies for one hour a week at least. Your messages have gripped my heart, and the music sounds like angel voices. Maybe you can imagine what it means to us here, and please, Mr. Fuller, Keep the program coming to us all, for the world needs it today. That is all I have time for today, friends. Let's stand, please, and sing the verse and chorus of number 28, Sowing in the morning, sowing seeds of kindness. Everyone, a great audience here today to sing to you in Radio Land. in a moment of prayer. Heavenly Father, as we sow the seed today across the boundaries of nations, we pray that that seed may find lodgment in the hearts of needy men and women everywhere, that they may be brought to a saving knowledge of Christ, for we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.
Fashion Revival Hour brought to you by the Gospel Broadcasting Association from the Long Beach Auditorium in Long Beach, California. This is Charles E. Fuller speaking.
You are listening to the Old Fashioned Revival Hour with Dr. Charles E. Fuller. His message today is titled, The Supreme Test of Faith. I'll provide information after Dr. Fuller's message on how you can contact us for a free copy of today's message or request a catalog of the gospel music you hear on the program. If you haven't already done so, open your Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 22 as we rejoin the broadcast.
Bibles open to the 22nd chapter of Genesis. We're speaking upon the supreme test of faith. Over the past few Sundays, we have been basing our messages upon some of the outstanding Old Testament characters found in Genesis. We have studied the following men of faith so far. Abel, in his worship of God by faith. Enoch, in his walk with God by faith. Noah, in his witness for God by faith. And for the past two Sundays, we have considered Abraham, that grand old patriarch of Old Testament days, in his obedience to God by faith. And when we study Abraham's life of faith in his great work of obedience, we find three outstanding periods that he went through, and as he went through, the school of obedience as outlined in chapters 11 to 25. His obedience when called by faith, Abraham went out. He should after receive an inheritance, and he obeyed, not knowing whether he went. His obedience sojourning as in a strange country, we read, by faith. Abraham sojourned in the land of promises in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. And now today his obedience in the offering of Isaac or the supreme test of Abraham's faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, that is proven by God, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall all thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. Genesis 22 records the scene of Abraham offering up his son Isaac in obedience to God's command. So may we go right into the Word and feed upon the wonderful things that God has for us there and be strengthened, grounded, rooted, and built up in the faith and not carried about by every wind of doctrine. Let me read the first two verses of Genesis 22. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt, that is, prove, Abraham, and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. Now notice this, how it pulls at the heartstrings. And he said, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for burnt offering upon one of the mountains, which I will tell thee of. Now will you notice, please, Isaac was the one and only promised heir. If Isaac should die childless, then the promised genealogical line through which Christ the Son of God would be born a babe in Bethlehem's manger would be broken. God said there would be this heir, 
And if Isaac had died childless, God's word would then have proven untrue. For note in Genesis 17:19, I'll read it to you. God said, Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son, Abraham a hundred years old, Sarah ninety-nine. Sarah, thy wife shall bear thee a son indeed, and thou shalt call his name Isaac, even named before he was born. And I will establish my covenant with him for an everlasting covenant and with his seed after him. But now in Genesis 22, Take now thy son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains which I will tell thee of. The supreme test of faith. I want you to notice the second matter to bear in mind along this line is this. God gives us a detailed, intimate account of what transpired between Abraham and his only begotten son, Isaac. All of this to give us for our instruction an insight into what passed between God the Father and God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, some 15 centuries later at Calvary when God gave His only begotten Son to die on Calvary's cross, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God said now, Sarah, you shall have a son, and he shall call his name Isaac. And now God commands Abraham to take his only heir, the son that he loved, to go up to the mountain and offer him as a burnt offering. It is not recorded what thoughts went through Abraham's mind. But I want you to see from verses 3 to 19, these 17 verses are packed full of spiritual instruction, rich spiritual gold mines foreshadowing Calvary's cross some 1,500 years later. First of all, in verses 3 to 8, we see Abraham is journey. Verses 9 to 18, Abraham is offering up of Isaac. Verse 19, Abraham's return. Now let us briefly see Abraham's journey. May I call your attention to the frequent occurrence of the little word and? How these ands are put in here to mark off or to point out, that is to emphasize the deep significance of every detail? Furthermore, these ands here seem to be grouped in a series of seven. There are at least three of these series of seven in verses 3 to 19. Notice only the first series, verses 3 and 4. And Abraham rose up early and saddled his ass and took two young men and Isaac his son and clave the wood, and rose up, and went to the place of which God had told him. Seven and to mark every step deliberate, in detail, to emphasize, to mark off, 
Abraham's wonderful obedience. I want you to notice in verse 6, or rather in verse 4, as follows. We see Abraham the father setting apart his only son for sacrifice. Just as we find the Passover lamb in Exodus 12, in that dark night in Israel's history in Egypt, how that that Passover lamb was taken upon the tenth day of the first month and set aside until the fourteenth day. And so here we see Abraham the father setting apart his son, separated to be slain in type later. And so Isaac, a foreshadow of the Lord Jesus, is taken by his father Abraham three days before he's to be offered up. How beautifully the Old and the New Testament dovetail together, are interwoven. And truly, as our Lord has said in the volume of the book, it is written of me. Verses 5 and 6, let me read them to you. And Abram said unto his young men, Abide ye here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship. Thou notice the eye of faith, and come again to you. That's faith. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac his son, and took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they went both of them together. Now, listen. Isaac was no half-grown boy, as frequently portrayed, but a full-grown, strong young man, obedient even unto death, carrying the wood of the burnt offering sacrifice, bearing the load of wood upon his own shoulders. Likewise, our Lord, clothed in the form of sinful flesh, at the age of thirty-three and a half years, a full-grown young man, speaking from the human standpoint. Notice, we read in John 19:17 that he, bearing his cross, went forth into a place called the place of the skull, which is called in the Hebrew Golgotha. Oh, what a wonderful book this is. How the Old Testament pre-pictures New Testament truth and how these things are written for our admonition. Furthermore, verse 6 speaks of the fire, taking the fire from off his altar, carrying it up into the mountain. Now let me stop right here and say this. Fire here as well as everywhere in the Scriptures embolizes divine judgment, the energy of divine holiness which ever burns against sin, culminating in the days to come in the lake of fire for those who die in their sin. So here in the foreshadow, this points to the awful storm of divine judgment which burst upon the head of our sin barrier the Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, as he hung upon Calvary's cross when God the Father made Christ sin, Christ dying for our sins on our behalf, becoming our sin bearer. 
Now will you notice the change in verses 7 and 8? Let me read them to you, so precious. And Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, reverent, respectful. And he said, Here am I, my son. And he said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son. Will you notice the wording, please? God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. So they went, both of them, together. Will you pray as I drive this point home? God will provide himself a lamb. Oh, may we ever bear in mind this one outstanding fact that Christ died for God. That is, God alone could only supply that which would satisfy himself, for salvation is of the Lord. No angel, no saint, no human being, be he ever so holy, could satisfy God's justice and meet the standard of God's righteousness. Only Christ, God's holy, sinless perfect Son could meet the divine requirements and satisfy God. Either the sinner must die for his sins, or an innocent substitute must die in his place and stead. And here is a free picture of Christ satisfying God's justice, God providing a lamb for himself. Abraham is offering up of Isaac. I wish we had time to go in more detail into verses 9 to 18. For the foreshadow, the pre-picture passes from Isaac now to the ram. Or better, the one ram caught in the thicket, according to verse 13. Now picture it. The wood of the burnt offering laid upon the altar. Isaac bound upon the altar of sacrifice. Abraham standing over his only son, the knife in his hand, ready to thrust it in to his son in obedience to God's word. What a moment! And then we read, Abraham, tenth verse, stretched forth his hands and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. He said, Here am I. And he said, Lay not thy hand upon the lad, neither do thou anything unto him. For now I know that thou fearest God that is reverent him, seeing that thou hast not withheld thy son, thine only son, from me. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him one ram, is the literal rendering, caught in a thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram. Now, will you get the great teaching on substitution? Took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the stead of his son. There is the gospel in a nutshell. Listen, you as a sinner before God, unless you're born again, 
You are bound in the place of death. The knife of divine justice is suspended over you. The natural man, you as a natural man, are under that sentence of death. For listen to God's word. He that believeth on him is not condemned. But he that believeth not is condemned already. Why? Because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. He that believeth on the Son hath everlasting life. And he that believeth not the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God literally hangeth over him. The knife of divine judgment is waiting the hour of execution unless you repent. Friend outside of Christ, you're under the sentence of death. Bound by the fetters of sin, the knife of divine justice is literally hanging over you, abiding over you. You are in the place of eternal separation, spiritual death, unless you repent. And so I say to you today, in that condition, behold the Lamb. For sinners slain, Christ dying in your stead. And dying for you that you might have eternal life. Oh, what a glorious gospel. If time would permit, Genesis 22 foreshadows not only the death, but the resurrection and the ascension. For notice, on the third day, Abraham received Isaac back again as one from the dead, receiving him in a figure. And notice carefully, according to verse 19, all these little touches. Here it is. So Abraham returned unto his young men. No mention of Isaac. They rose up and went together to Beersheba. And Isaac, as far as the Scriptures are concerned, is left up in the mountain on high. Dead. Risen in type, ascended on high. And that's where the Lord Jesus is at the present moment, ever living to make intercession for us. And centuries later, Paul, writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, wrote as follows. Let me read it to you. Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, for I delivered unto you first of all, and which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins in our place instead, was buried, and rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Since all we like sheep have gone astray, we have turned every one to his own way, the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He is brought as a lamb to the slaughter, gracious of him now to say, Come unto me and find peace and rest. Come, him that cometh unto me, I will in no wise cast out. Come, all ye labor and heavy laden, I'll give you rest, forgiveness, redemption, pardon, peace, and all the spiritual blessings I have for you for time and eternity. Let's bow our heads in prayer in this great visible audience here in Long Beach today. 
And out in Radio Land, God is sending out the gracious invitation to you. Come now, let us reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Will you take God at his word today? God bless you wherever you are. While our heads are bowed here in this visible audience, how many will put their hand up and say, Brother Fuller, pray for me. I here now want to accept Christ as my personal Savior and accept, God bless you, accept his gracious invitation. Put your hand up and say, pray for me. God bless you. We're bringing the old-fashioned revival hour to a close. This is Charles E. Fuller speaking. Let us continue in prayer as we go off the air, trusting for God's grace to be with you next Lord's Day on the same station, same time, same place. Continue in prayer as we leave the air.